All right, y'all give me something. What y'all been gleaning out of the precious truths of the Word of God? Don't have to be in Matthew. It could be anywhere. Just something you want to give away that's just blessed you, that's encouraged you, strengthened you, something you heard, something you're reading, something you want to cling to. You know, it's important for us to always uh, know what God says about a thing. More than what people say, but what God says about a thing. Somebody was going to say something? Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11. Boy, that's a good invitation, isn't it? What you think about that? 11, 28. Yes, Matthew 11, 28. What a word. What a word. What a word. Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that will bless you, amen. amen. That is the invitations of invitations. Come unto me, all ye who are labor who labor and are heavy laden what a word what a word you know y'all y'all help me with that what does that speak to you about y'all y'all share a few things with me tell me about this how, how this how you understand and apply this in your life you know jesus said you shall know the truth truth will set you free now keep in mind, it's truth that you know and understand and apply is the idea, the truth you know, the truth that you know uh, personally, intimately, with experience that sets us free. It's not that you just can quote the truth, you know it, you understand it, you apply it. That, that, the only way to be able to apply it is, is to be free from the lie that held you captive that is opposite of that, that particular truth. So, yes, it, it will. So, y'all tell me, how, how do y'all understand and apply this great invitation to intimacy with the Lord? Right, right. Yeah, if you're looking for rest. That's right. Yes, remember what we, we've been, we've asked God to help us with that, that we're not asking the Lord to fix our problems as much as we're asking God to fix us for the problem. He, he can deliver us from it, but that's not always his choice to do. Matter of fact, these verses are not keeping us from the work. He's given us rest in the work. Think about that for a moment. I mean, when you, if you got a yoke, and a burden, you in the work. Amen. There's no way to work. When you yoke two oxen together, you yoke them together to do what? To bear a burden, to work. And that's what he's saying here. But we're, we're taking on his yoke. That is, we're taking on his cause. We're taking on his purpose. And when we are in his purpose and in his cause, we yoke to him. He carries us and he gives us rest not from, but in. And that's important. So y'all tell me, what else? What, what, what y'all glean from these things? Take 
sometimes I'm thinking, well, you know, I need some rest. Mm -hmm. But then it's, you know, it goes through my mind. It's not going to put on this more than we can. And, you know, the neat thing about that idea of him putting on us, <laughs> he, he tells us that he'll that he will give us a way of escape that we can endure what he puts on us, that we can endure. And there's times that God does put us in a position. Paul talks about it in, in first, excuse me, Second Corinthians. He said God put so much on them they had to have a sentence of death in themselves so that they wouldn't trust in themselves because God only raises that which dies. You can't be raised unless you die. There's no resurrection without a death. So he said, we were pressed beyond measure, beyond our strength. Therefore, we had a sentence of death in ourselves, knowing that God would raise us from the dead and he would deliver us from it. He would deliver us through it. And then Paul said, we believe it, when we face it again, he's going to deliver us through it too. And that's the way he described it, past, present, and future deliverance as we walk with the Lord. And that's what God does continuously in our life. He'll, he'll put us in situations where we got we to let go, that we cannot get out of this, we cannot get through this in our own strength, but we have to die to who we are. And that's what he's doing with us as disciples. He's constantly getting us to that place. Second Corinthians 4 says, He's delivering us over to death so that life can work in our mortal flesh. That is, when we are handling things on our own, God's just going to keep putting more and more on us until we get to the place where we say, I can't, I got to have you. You got to work in me in this and work through me. And like Paul said, we had to have a sentence of death. We had to reckon that we were dead. And we couldn't carry this load anymore. The picture that he painted was of a mule that was so heavy laden that the mule wouldn't give up, but it was such a burden on him that his, his bones and his legs began to shatter from the weight. He kept trying to bear it and kept trying to walk with it because that was in his nature to carry it. But it was so heavy, he started splintering bones in his legs because of the burden. He said, that's what God put on us. So that we just had to lay out and say, God, we can't make it. We can't carry it anymore. And he said, then he raised us up. When we were weak, he was what? Strong, Strong in us. Great picture. Hold your spot there, Matthew. Go to 2 Corinthians. Look at it real quick. 2 Corinthians 1. Second Corinthians chapter number 1. He's encouraging the church because they obviously are going through some tough times. And the first part, chapter number 1, verses 3 through verse number 7, he's reminding them of what God does when we go through hard things. We, we've looked at this probably a thousand times on Wednesday nights and on Sundays over the last nine years or so of how everything God does in our life is for to comfort and deliver. And it's never about us because he doesn't list any problem. You notice that when you read through it, he doesn't give you any one particular problem people face. 
Because the problem is irrelative to the fact that it's the fact that God's going to be in the problem with you. He's the, he's the one that is important and, and significant, not the problem. I'm just going to read it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. The word tribulation means afflictions. Troubles, problems, issues. Why does he do it? He does it that we may be able to be a tool, an instrument, a vessel to comfort those who are, are in any kind of trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that comfort comes from his presence, that intimacy which goes right along with Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me that are what? Under a heavy affliction, who are laboring and burdened, come to me and what's he going to give us? Rest. That rest is going to be found in his presence. That rest is going to be found in his comfort. Not from the problem, but in the problem. He's going to provide that for us. He goes on to say in verse number 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, if we are troubled, if we are burdened, if we are laden, laden, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your what? Consolation and salvation. Paul is saying, look, the issue of what we're going through is really never about us anyway. It's always so that we can be a blessing and a benefit the others and bring glory to God through it all. Amen. We're growing, but in our growing, we're growing to help somebody else. We're growing to be a blessing to someone else. And, and Bill, I really believe Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is helping us more than anything is that when we always are, are, are thinking about ourselves, that's the most exhausting thing in life to constantly be thinking about yourself. Amen. Think about it. You find me anybody that can't get their mind off of themselves and off their problem. They're the most miserable, most burdened, most laborious, most heavy laden people. They're exhausted with life. They're exhausted with people. They're exhausted with everything. The most exhaust, exhausting place to be in life is to be consumed with self. And what Jesus is inviting us to abandon ourselves and come unto him. And when we come unto him, we take our eyes off of ourselves and off our problem. We get yoked with him and his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He lifts us up. Why? Because we're not focusing on ourselves. Our attention is gazed upon him. He's comforting us in the problems that we're facing. But we're, we're, it's not about us anymore. We give in glory to him and we realize he's, he don't waste anything. Amen? Amen. Nothing's wasted. And he's going to use this in my life to be a comfort and a delivering tool to somebody else. And man, that, that'll, free, that'll give you rest in the work. No matter how difficult that it is. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it lifts you, don't it? And when you come back to your problem, 
Exactly. You see it a different, you look, you see it in a whole different angle and he's done something in you that's helped you go through what you're going through. And he lightens that load when, when it becomes about him and helping somebody else go through troubles in life. He does, he does the miracle and it is not near as, as difficult as what we thought it was. And it could be challenging. And if we're not careful, Keep, let's keep reading and we'll see what Paul says here. Verse 7 says, And our hope for you is steadfast. We're not, we're not wavering in this because we know that as you partake of the sufferings, you shall also partake of the comfort or the consolation from God. When you're suffering in the yoke of Jesus, you are going to be comforted by him. He's going to give you rest. He's going to give you hope. He's going to build faith in you. And he's going to give you that strength to go through what you're going through. Paul says in verse number 80, he's, he's, I want, they're not in this right now. He's just reminding them of what they went through. Verse 8 says, for we do not want you to be unaware, ignorant. Remember, ignorance is not a bad word. Ignorant just means you don't have knowledge of something. The church at Corinth would have been ignorant of this until Paul shared it with them. He wanted them to know about it. Brethren, of our trouble, our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. That's that picture here of of that mule that's under that weight of burden, that it's in that mule's nature to not lay down, to not give up, to keep walking as long as he can walk and carry the load. But the load was so heavy that it began to shatter the, the bones in the, in the mule's legs and it gave in to the weight, not in its spirit, but it just couldn't physically bear it any longer. And Paul is saying that's where we were at when we were in Asia, Asia Minor. God put that on us so that we even despaired even of life. He says in verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who does what? Raises the dead. Y'all just keep that in mind. You can't raise something until it dies got to die. And that goes along with the entire message. What does Matthew chapter 10 say? That a man must what? Deny himself and come what? Follow after me. This, this is it. We can all in our knowledge and in our understanding and our physical abilities and our giftings and our skill sets, we can do things to a certain point and do things in our own strength. And what God will do is get us to a place where we, we cannot use our own, our own skill sets are not enough. Our own gifts are not enough. It can't get the job done, and we have to have that sentence of death in ourselves. And, and if we we're, can be that type of people, for an example, most of our church, our church is not a problematic type fellowship. I've been in, been around, been enough around enough people that are, that are, that are constantly dealing with personal problems and personal issues and, or, and that are not diligent. But our folk, almost every here, everyone here 
is, is a professional in some sort, a business owner of some sort. Y'all take care of things. Y'all do things. You don't have to be followed up behind you to do things. Y'all going to do it. And you're going to do it great. It's just in your nature. It's what you've been taught. It's, it's your leadership abilities to do that. And what we can do is rely upon that as people. And what God will do is put us in situations where, where that is not enough. Well, we have to despair of even life. We got it. We got to turn it over and die to ourselves so that he can do what? Resurrection power. That he is seen more than we are seen. Are you with me? That, that's, that's the idea. And we've got to recognize that that's, that's what he does and how he works. And, and, and we can get to the point where we just continually physically are laboring and, and trusting in our abilities. And before you know it, we're looking at ourselves. And when things are not turning out the way we wanted them to turn out, that can get you frustrated, and that can get you aggravated, and that can get you down. And then you start looking at, at ourselves in the situation. If you're not careful, then you become those candidates for those pity parties. And then you get in the pity party, nobody profits then. You don't profit, we don't profit, your wife, your husband don't profit, your chi- nobody profits when somebody's operating in the pity party. Are you with me? It, it, our, our productivity drops drastically when we're having a pity party. We get distracted easily. Uh, people frustrate us more easily. And, and we just got to remember that invitation. Come unto me, all ye that are that laboring or, or heavy laden. And I'll give you what? Rest. Notice, he didn't say rest from the work, but he said rest where? In your soul. In your soul. I'll give, you, I'll give you rest within. I'll give you the comfort you need, the hope you need, the peace you need, the faith you need to bear the load that you're under because you're dying and denying yourself. And we'll never get away from those principles that Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must first deny himself, denounce his own right, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. That, that's, that's kingdom principles we can't get around. And he goes on to say a, a little bit further. Watch this in verse number 10. Verse 10 says that when we were in that place who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. He said he delivered us then. He's doing it now and we believe he's going to do it in the future. He taught us a lesson that we must live with that sentence of death in ourselves that he may raise us up to walk with him. Verse number 11 says, You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That is simply saying that, look, y'all supported us. Y'all prayed for us. Y'all was with us. Through this time, this wasn't something that we just did on our own. We had people like you who was encouraging and strengthening and praying for us. And that's why we pray for one another. That God, we're not asking you to keep us from things. We're just asking you to do something in us so that we can walk through the thing and give you glory and praise. That we can live with resurrection power. Only way to do that is we got to live in intimacy with Jesus. That's that come to me. That's Matthew 6.33. Seek first. 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else or what? Come unto me is saying the same thing as Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his right. It's just another way of saying, it's another word picture of saying we must abide in the vine. We must stay connected to Jesus and let him do a work within us so that he can work through our lives. Anybody got any questions on this? Look in, look in chapter 4. Look in chapter 4 of this. Paul's just explaining the exact same thing in chapter number 4. In verse number 7, when he talks about this treasure that we have in us, that is the hope of glory, that is Christ within us, that is the message of the gospel, the message of Christ, the living Christ living within us, we have this treasure in varnable earthen clay pots now what think about that earthen vessels as a clay pot a clay pot is not that durable is it it cannot withstand uh, being dropped on the ground it, it, it's it's very fragile no different though he's painting this picture of remember when Gideon had that clay pot and what did God tell him to do with that clay pot Put a light in it. And he put a light in it. And he and, and 300 other men dealing with, uh, he started out with over 30-something thousand men and God said, you got too many. I can't do anything with you. You got too many. You got to reduce it down. And he reduced it down and he reduced it down and he wound up with just 300. And God says, now I can do something marvelous with you. He said, take a clay pot, a clay vessel, Put a lamp in it. Put a light in it. And I want you men to get up on the mountaintop and walk around with that light. And what the enemy saw was different than what was actually going on on that, on that mountaintop. God routed a great victory that night by taking a light and putting it in a fragile clay pot. That don't sound like a, a really magnificent battle strategy, does it? But you see, when you're dealing with God, he doesn't do things ordinarily. He does things extraordinary. And that's what he was doing there. It's a small thing with him to do it. And he was building great faith in his people to say, look, I never consider the odds. And he doesn't consider the odds today. And he's put his light inside of fragile people like you and me. Amen. That, that, that's, that's a treasure that we have that he's put inside of us. And then what he does with us, he says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of who? Not of us. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's what he was referring to in chapter 1 when he says that if God is troubling us, or afflicting us, it is for our comfort and tribulate, uh, or deliverance so that we can help other people. This is that right here. Being put in a dire straits, being put in hard places and difficult things in life. Why does God do that? Well, he wants that light to get out. How is that light going to get out? It's going to get out by putting us in those situations. Verse 10 says, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested where? 
in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. For what reason? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, that's just simply being yoked with Jesus. When we're yoked with Jesus, people see Jesus. They see his way. They see his purpose. They see his pleasure. We find rest. We're not unsettled in this. That's the thing. When he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that is saying we're not in despair from the point of we're unsettled in our spirit. People that are unsettled and anxious and fretting are people that are not too convincing. Do you, do you, are you convinced by people that, that show very little uh, confidence in life? Why would you follow? Do you follow anybody that just doesn't have confidence in what they're doing? No, not at all. Why would you? I wouldn't. You don't. We don't. We're not. People are not. And what God does is that he puts us in situations that when we're yoked to him, we have rest. And when somebody is at rest, and they are at peace, that, that person is living with confidence. They're living with convictions. They're living with courage. They're living with compassion. Why? They got his yoke. They live in the life that Jesus lives. They live in what Jesus came to do. And I want to tell you, when people saw Jesus living on this earth, they looked at him and said, this man ain't like the rest of these guys. I mean, you hear I proclaim that word and how he proclaimed that message and read the word. He don't, he, he, he don't speak like the ones who've been through all the, the education. He speaks with authority. And people saw it. And the same when, see, when we are at peace, nothing got Jesus unsettled. They tried it. They couldn't do it. They tried to flip him around and turn him around and everything they did. The Pharisees and the scribes, all of them kept trying to trip him up. They couldn't trip him up. Why? He, he didn't let them govern his life. He kept listening to what his father had for him. Amen. And you see, that's the same yoke he's putting on us. And when we know with confidence who we're walking with and who we're serving and what we're doing in life, he gives us a, a, an assurance. He gives us a steadfastness. He gives us a confidence in spite of the turmoil around us. Regardless of the conflict that's going on around us, there's not a conflict going on within me. I, I'm at rest with him because I'm on mission with him. And he is actually living his life out of my life. And people see him and they don't see a disturbed spirit in me. They see something different. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's referring to of putting this yoke on us. And God puts us in those situations so that people can see Jesus. That's that sentence of death. If we were doing it in our own strength, they would see us. Right. And if God wouldn't put us through things, you know what's going to wind up happening? <coughs> we, we, we're going to get comfortable and lazy, yeah. spiritually and physically. So God says, I know what's best for you. And what's best for you is to put you through some stuff. Physically, spiritually, mentally, relationally, I'm going to put you through some things that are difficult. But I'm going to strengthen you through it so people can see me coming out of you. Man, what a blessing, amen. amen. So I don't, have to, I don't have to fret over trouble, over problems. 
But if I'm worried about the problem and the outcome of the problem or why do I have a problem, and if I'm worrying at all, what's going to wind up happening is people are going to see me worrying and they're not going to see Jesus. But when I'm resting in his yoke, trusting in his way, leaning upon him, as Isaiah 26, 3 would say, he's going to keep me in perfect peace because I, my eyes are set on him. I'm trusting him. I know that he's enough for me and nothing else is enough. Isn't that what Matthew 10, 25 says? For the disciple to be like his master is enough for him. It's enough. And if, it's, if that's enough, nothing else is enough. Are you with me? And that's what he's doing. He's getting us to the place in life where, where he's enough for us. He's enough. And buddy, when he's enough, people see that in you. People will see it in, in us. And when they do, they can't help but see Jesus. They may not recognize him as Jesus. They're going to recognize something's unique and different about you. And then that's where Peter say, be ready. That when they ask you, why do you have such hope in a world full of, that lacks hope? Well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you who has given me this hope. Let me tell you who's living in me and what he's invited me. He, he just invited me to come to him and walk with him. And he wasn't going to keep me from trouble. He wasn't going to keep me from labor. He's just going to keep me from focusing in on myself. And when he keeps me from focusing in on myself and I'm looking to him, he's going to let me look at people differently. And I'm going to see problems differently. And I'm going to be able to deal with pride in my own heart. And I'm not going to walk around with pity party after pity party, which we see in our everyday life or with so many around us. All of a sudden, here he is. He's king in our life. Amen? I mean, all, all these things, they just... They just so intimately fit together with simply uh, what John 15 says, abide in me. Stay connected to me. And when you stay connected to me, what you do is going to bring glory to the Father. You'll be fruitful. And for what his fruit is coming out of you, the more the Father is glorified, you, you, you won't help but to rejoice in what I'm doing in your life. So Matthew 6, 33, John 15, Isaiah 26, 3, 2 Corinthians 1, and, and Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, all of them are speaking of the same things, just at different angles with different illustrations, with different um, applications to uh, us just living in intimacy with Jesus, seeking him first, leaning on him, looking to him, listening for his voice, walking in his way, his life coming out of us, and man... What a, what a triumphal victory happens, amen? Which goes back to, notice, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. Look in verse number 14. When he's leading, that is, we're yoked to him, notice the product of it. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in what? Triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance or the aroma of his knowledge in every place. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To those who are being saved or to those who are 
the aroma of death leading to death, and the other the aroma of life leading to life. And are any of us sufficient for these things? No. But this is what God's done. Amen. So some people are going to, when they see us being led of Jesus, walking with him, walking in his triumph, you know what they're going to smell over our life? They're going to smell death. And to them, death stinks. Death stinks. Rotten things stink. It stinks. They don't want no part of it. But there's going to be other people God brings into our life on a consistent basis. And what they're going to smell? They're going to smell life. And life smells good. Amen. Something be, they're going to smell Jesus. And it's going to remind them of the crucified life. It's going to remind them that our lives have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live. And the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. Amen? Amen. Galatians 2.20. It's another one you could add in there that, that, that's saying the, the same thing. So y'all give me some feedback. Y'all help me. Does that help any, any, any way of this idea of what he's talking about in Matthew eleven twenty eight of this yoke? Really, honestly, y'all all have, have been there before, as Bill pointed out. When we're no longer laboring for ourselves, the labor that we endure is not near as difficult as it is when we make in life all about us. Amen. When we're considering what it's going to do in other people's lives, how it's going to help them, regardless how they respond to it or react to it, we do what we do to the glory of Jesus. That's why Paul would encourage men and women both, say like a wife, he'd say, look, uh, submit yourselves or love your husband as unto who? Unto Jesus, unto the Lord. Do what he asks you to do for Jesus' sake. And when you're doing it for Jesus' sake, in the end you know God's going to use it to be a blessing to your husband. Even though he may not value it, he may not appreciate it, he may not treasure you for doing that your reward is great and if we're only looking for the reward here on earth and not the reward that's going to come with what we're doing we, we can get short-sighted and we're looking for a temporal thing that's why he also teaches memory says your good deeds that you do don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing he said, if you're doing what you're doing so that men would see what you're doing and, and, and commend you more for what you're doing, he says, you got your reward, but that's all you got is, is their appreciation. But if you do what you do to bring glory to me, God says he keeps note of it. And he will reward you for it. When you do it secretly, he'll reward you openly. But if all we do to let other people know what we do that's all we get. It has no eternal value to it. And that applies to our, our labor of anything for the Lord. We do what we do to be a blessing to other people. And when we recognize that, if they don't accept what we do and appreciate what we do, it's not going to deter us 
from what we're doing. We're going to keep doing it, and we're going to keep loving them, and we're going to keep blessing them, even if they don't value, appreciate those things. Why? Because we're doing it for Jesus. We're doing it for his glory. And we know that there's going to come a day when they're going to look back on what we did for them and they won't be able to do nothing but glorify God for what we did when we did it because we wasn't doing it to gain, gain appreciation for ourselves. We were doing it so that people could see him in our lives. That makes all the difference in the world. You can take things from people when you can see past them and who you're doing it for. And when they mistreat you, talk bad about you, it doesn't, it doesn't cripple you. It doesn't, it doesn't ruin you. It doesn't want you to throw in the towel. And could you ever just said that before? Like, what is the use? Why am I doing this? I'm ready to just throw in the towel. Well, when that happens, that's what the Lord is doing. He's getting us to a place where, yes, we throw in the towel, but he wants to get our focus off of us and get our focus back on him. Amen? And he helps us with that. So we've all been there. And what we really want to do is be in a place where we can serve people and love people and bless people and pray for people that don't value our, our love and appreciation or prayers. Because Jesus teaches us the kingdom way is this, that if you only love those that love you, you have no reward in that. He said, anybody can do that. People that don't know me, people that don't walk with me, love those that love them. What really marks the man being unique and different is those that can love those that, that are unlovable, that don't love in return. That makes a difference not only in this life, but in the life to come. It really does. And he makes a difference in us. Amen? Remember when he said, I didn't come to um, bring peace. I come to bring variance within people. The, the divide, you remember reading that John, I mean Matthew 10? I come to divide. Well, what does he mean by that? I don't, I don't think that's his goal is to divide. His goal is to make a difference in a man's life. And the difference is so significant that it's going to separate them from other people. And those that it separates them from, it's going to divide them and it's gonna, it's gonna, they're going to have foes or enemies in their own house, he said among their own people, among their own family. Children and parents are going to turn one another over to the authorities. And he didn't come to, that, that wasn't the chief aim is to divide them. The aim was is to make such a difference in them that it separated them from everybody else. And in that separation is where the division comes. That's where the foes will come, the enemies will come. But he says if you are more concerned about loving or liking or being connected to your father or your family, then me, he says, you're not worthy of me. You see, that, that's the difference that he makes, that he becomes our everything in us. I tell you, the reading these Gospels are, are pretty clear, aren't they, in the sense of they, they make such a distinction between those that belong to Jesus and those that don't. And we want to bring people to him, amen? amen. Bring people to him. Anybody have anything before we go? Anything you want to add? Anything you want to take away? That would be a good one to remember. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest where? For your, for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Hmm. So next time you start thinking more about you and I start thinking more about me, let's pray God to call our memory back to the fact that, hey, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because I've been totally exhausted before in my life, more worried about me than anything else. Wear you out now. It'll wear you out. It'll wear you out mentally. It'll wear you out emotionally. And I hadn't found a man yet that's wore out, or a woman yet that's wore out mentally, emotionally, and physically that ain't wore out spiritually. You get spiritual right, you come to him and him do a work in you, it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you see and feel things. It's going to change the way you treat people. And when you start dealing with it that way, man, what, what he's doing something inside of us. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and praise you and we thank you. We pray that you help us, that we would, as we, we learn from these things, that we would have a sentence of death in ourselves, that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but trust in you who raises the dead, and that you would manifest your life out of us, and that we would, there is no substitute for this invitation of coming to you. There is no substitute for you being enough. When you are enough that we be like you, nothing else is enough. Nothing else satisfies. So when we get distracted, which we easily do, our hearts from time to time want to wander and our, our, our hearts are prone to leave the God for whom we love, we pray that you would enrapture us that you would discipline us, chasten us, do what is necessary to fix us for the things in life that we have to face, and that we would uh, turn these things over. You teach us that there's no need for us to worry, there's no need for us to fret, there's no need for us to be anxious, but that we can seek you, that we can look to you, we can learn from you, we can listen to you, we can lean upon you, and thankfully we can live for you. We praise you now and thank you. Thank you for our people. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We're asking you to use us to help those that we walk with from day to day. You have planted each one of us in different circles, different mission fields, so that we can be difference makers and help people see you in what you've done in our lives. So we're going to give you the glory for it, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all.